Welcome to the Banner of Truth broadcast. This program is brought to you by the Free Reformed Churches of North America. Your host is Pastor Jack Schumann, pastor of the Emmanuel Free Reformed Church of Abbotsford, British Columbia. And now, here is Pastor Jack Schumann. I invite you to turn with me to the book of Revelation, chapter 11, as we continue our series of sermons on this wonderful book. We're going to read verses 7 to 14. And as you turn to this, I want to let you know that this will be the final sermon in this series, at least for this year. I hope to continue with it in the new year, God willing. Let us hear the word of God. Then the seventh angel sounded, and there were loud voices in heaven, saying, The kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. And the twenty-four elders who sat before God on their thrones fell on their faces and worshipped God, saying, We give you thanks, O Lord God Almighty, the one who is and who was and who is to come, because you have taken your great power and reigned. The nations were angry, and your wrath has come, and the time of the dead that they should be judged, and that you should reward your servants, the prophets and the saints, and those who fear your name, small and great, and should destroy those who destroy the earth. Then the temple of God was opened in heaven, and the ark of his covenant was seen in his temple, and there were lightnings, noises, thunderings, an earthquake, and great hail. This ends the reading of the holy word of God. May the Lord bless the reading and preaching of his word to our hearts. Dear friends, few events on earth can compare to the joy and excitement of a king returning from battle. People used to line the streets to watch him ride past on his gallant steed with his booty and prisoners of war on display. And when he finally arrived, the people would cheer and shout and strew flowers in his path. This was followed by a day, or sometimes several days, of feasting and celebration. It was always a very joyful occasion. But no earthly celebration can compare to the celebration that believers will enjoy when our Lord comes again. During the past several weeks, we have been considering the first six trumpets, And we've seen that each of these trumpets describe various events that will take place on earth between the first and second comings of our Lord. Well, now at long last, we come to the seventh and final trumpet. And like the seventh seal, this trumpet describes the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, to be sure, it doesn't describe everything concerning this event, Many details are left to later chapters in the book of Revelation, but it does reveal that Christ is coming. Now, it goes without saying, this is a significant moment, the most significant moment in history. All of human history has been moving towards this goal, and now, at long last, it has arrived. When Joshua entered the promised land, It was the seventh trumpet that brought down the walls of Jericho. 
Well, now the seventh trumpet of heaven blows, and the exodus journey of the church is completed with the return of Christ and the final defeat of all of his and our enemies. Now, with this in mind and God's help, let's consider these verses under the theme, The Return of the Great King. We will observe, first of all, the kingdom he regains, secondly, the worship he receives, and thirdly, the glory he reveals. The six angels had sounded their trumpets. There was only one more trumpet to sound. It was the seventh trumpet. And so after the interlude of chapter 10, the seventh angel steps forward and begins to blow on his trumpet. And as he did, John says he heard loud voices in heaven. Now we're not told whose voices these were, but they were probably the voices of the angels. And together they shouted, The kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. Now if you're familiar with Handel's Messiah, you will know that these words form part of the famous Hallelujah Chorus. But what exactly do they mean? Reference, you notice, is made here to kingdoms. What are these kingdoms? Well, the word kingdoms refers to the world's large and powerful nation-states. There were many such kingdoms in the past. We can think of the Babylonian kingdom, the kingdoms of Egypt and Assyria, of Medo-Persia, Greece, and Rome. There are also several such kingdoms still today. We can think of the United States, Great Britain, France, Russia, China, the European Union. At the present, these kingdoms are to one degree or another controlled by Satan. You may remember when our Lord was tempted by the devil in the wilderness, he took him up to the top of an exceedingly high mountain. And there he showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And the devil said to Christ, All these things I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Now this was no idle boast on Satan's part. The truth is the kingdoms of this world really do belong to him. Now that doesn't mean, of course, that Satan is sovereign. He is not. God is sovereign. He is sovereign even over Satan. But Satan is very powerful. And he exercises this power over the nations of the earth. And has done so from the very beginning of time. But here we learn that this state of affairs will not last forever. For the time will come when our Lord comes again on the clouds of glory, when these same kingdoms will be wrested from Satan. And that's precisely what we see happening in our text chapter. When Christ comes again, all of the kingdoms of the earth will be his. Now there's something momentous about this. For 2,000 years, the world over, Christians the world over have been praying, Lord, let your kingdom come. And now that prayer is finally answered. The kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ. 
Well, you notice the names that are used here, the names Lord and Christ. The word Lord normally refers to the Lord Jesus, but here it refers to God the Father. The word Christ is our Lord's official name. It's the Greek form of the Hebrew word Messiah, meaning anointed. And as such, this word reminds us that Christ was anointed into three offices. The office of prophet, the office of priest, and the office of king. And the point of this statement is this, that the kingdoms of this world will belong to God, both the Father and his Son. The Father is Lord of creation, and the Son is Lord of redemption. And together they will rule in power and grace, in divine glory, over all the kingdoms of the world. Now what a comfort this must have been to the original readers of this book. Because we've seen several times in previous sermons that these people were being persecuted for their faith, as are many Christians still today. They suffered a great deal. But now in these verses, our Lord assures them that he reigns, and he will reign, and not just for a little while, but forever. And he will reign not just over a portion of the world, but over all the kingdoms of the world. What a comfort this is for us today. As during the days when this book was written, Christians are still being persecuted today. In fact, Christians are the most persecuted religious group in the world right now. And it will only get worse. But dear friends, we have nothing to fear. One day, the kingdoms of this world, the kingdoms that are now allied against us and against the Lord and against his church will become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ. And he shall reign forever and ever, and we with him. And so when Christ comes again, he will receive a kingdom. And when he does, there will be great rejoicing. That brings us to our second point. Immediately after our Lord took possession of his kingdom, John says that the 24 elders who sat before God on their thrones fell on their faces and worshiped God. Now remember, the 24 elders representing the 12 tribes of Israel and the 12 apostles symbolize the church of the Old and New Testaments. These are not actual believers, but angels representing believers. And you notice what John says about them. He says, first of all, that they sit on thrones beside the throne of God. They are said to sit on thrones because in some way they assist God in reigning over the world. They function as a kind of a council of advisors and vice rulers under God, which is why they're called elders. Second thing John says is they fall on their faces. Now, there's something significant about that. When we first encounter the 24 elders in chapter 4, they're pictured seated on their thrones. But when the announcement comes that Christ has taken his kingdom to himself, these same elders abandon their thrones and they fall flat on their faces before God, a posture of great humility and submission. Thirdly, John says they worship God. Some commentators suggest that the following verses, verses 17 and 18, were actually sung. Well, if that's correct, then this is the third song that is sung in heaven. The first song was recorded in Revelation 4, verses 8 through 11. That's the song of creation. 
The second song, which we find in Revelation 5, 9, and 10, is the song of redemption. And now here we hear the song of judgment. Now this song consists of several parts. First of all, there's an address. Like all true worship, the worship of the 24 elders is directed to God, to the Lord God, which stands to reason since he alone is to be worshipped. You notice how they refer to him. They refer to him as Lord God Almighty. The word Almighty is the Greek, is the Greek word pantokrator, which means sovereign ruler or ruler over all. The Roman Caesars, who claimed to be divine at this time, adopted this title for themselves, but they were mistaken. There's only one who is almighty, and that is almighty God. He's also called here the one who is and who was and who is to come. And by means of that phrase, the elders confess the eternity of God, that he has no beginning and no end. So he is not a creature. He's not like us. He's not finite, but rather he is infinite. He transcends time and space. They also give a reason for worship. Why do the 24 elders give thanks to God? They tell us, because you have taken your great power and reigned. In other words, the elders thank God that he has taken what rightfully belongs to him. Great power and kingship. Following this, we have a flashback. Verse 18, the, the nations were angry and your wrath has come and the time of the dead that they should be judged and that you should reward your servants, the prophets and the saints, and those who fear your name, small and great, and should destroy those who destroy the earth. This verse takes us back to the time immediately preceding the events of verse 15. And there we read how Christ took the kingdoms of the earth for his own. And now in verse 18, we learn how the unbelieving nations respond to this. And they respond in anger. The nations, John says, were angry. And the verb here suggests a deep-seated, ongoing, persistent hostility. The tense of the Greek verb indicates that this was not just a momentary emotional fit of temper but rather a settled, burning resentment and enmity towards God. So why were they angry? Well, because they hate God and his people. And consequently, when they see Christ taking his rightful place as king over all the kingdoms of the earth, they are filled with rage. But while they may be angry with God, God is angry with them, which is far more serious. John writes, the nations were angry and your wrath has come and the time of the dead that they should be judged. The wrath of God is a terrible thing. It consumes and it knows no bounds. By God's wrath, he destroyed the world and everything and everyone in it with the flood. And by this same wrath, he will come against the wicked and unbelieving nations of the world. And he will do so, the elders say, by judging the dead. Your wrath has come at the time of the dead that they should be judged. Now the dead here refers not to all of the dead, but to the unbelieving dead. When God's anger is aroused, then will be the time of the dead. Then the time will be when they shall be judged. And what will the sentence be? The sentence will be guilty as charged, and they shall be cast into the everlasting flames of hell and damnation. 
And all of this reminds us, doesn't it, of what we read back in Psalm 2. There we read about the nations raging and the people plotting a vain thing. David says, The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord, against his anointed, saying, Let us break their bonds in pieces and cast away their cords from us. So the whole world is standing in rebellion against God. And how does God respond to this? David tells us, He who sits in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall hold them in derision. The nations rise up against God, but God is not worried. He sits on his throne and he laughs at them. He will hold them in derision. Why? He tells us, because I have set my king on my holy hill of Zion. I will declare the decree the Lord has said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will give you the nations for your inheritance and the ends of the earth for your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron. You shall dash them to pieces like a potter's vessel. No, God is not worried about the nations with all of their power and might and riches and influence. For he has a champion in his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will utterly destroy all those who rise up against him. But while the last day will be a day of judgment for unbelievers, it will be a day of reward for believers. We read here that the elders thank God that on that day, God will reward his servants, the prophets, and the saints, and those who fear his name, small and great. But as John adds, those who destroyed the earth will themselves be destroyed. These are the wicked. And how do the wicked destroy the earth? It's not by polluting the environment or failing to do everything in their power to reduce their carbon footprint. No, they pollute the earth by their sins. It is by sinning that they pollute the earth. In God's eyes, living a life of sin as the wicked do is a form of destroying the earth. And how so? Well, because it's sin that brings this destruction in the first place. This is why creation groans. This is why we have forest fires and earthquakes and tornadoes and hurricanes. This is why we have war and plagues and economic disasters. It's all because of sin, ultimately. Sin has destroyed our world. Now John says that those who have destroyed the world by their sin themselves will be destroyed by God. The point is, dear ones, God is coming in judgment. That is the theme of the song of the elders. That is the subject that makes them sing praise to God. What about you today? Is this also what makes you sing praise to God? Most Christians today sadly don't like to sing about the wrath of God or about God coming in judgment, rewarding believers and punishing unbelievers. No, they'd much rather sing about God's love and mercy and compassion. And of course we love to sing about that too. But what about his justice? What about his holiness and his wrath? 
Oh, that seems to get very little attention in many churches today. And it just goes to show you how out of sync so much of modern evangelical Christianity is with the Scriptures and ultimately with the will of God. Music, especially in the church today, needs to stop catering to our desires, our thoughts, and our feelings, and reflect instead the teaching of Holy Scripture. And so Christ receives well-deserved worship. But he also reveals his unsurpassed glory that brings us to our third and final point. After hearing the 24 elders sing their song of praise, John sees something remarkable. Verse 19, Then the temple of God was opened in heaven, and the ark of his covenant was seen in his temple. So John here sees the temple of God. Revelation fittingly contains many allusions to the heavenly temple and to elements within it. For example, there are references in this book to the lamps and the living creatures like the cherubim and incense and prayer and songs of praise like those offered by the Levites and sacrifices and the Ark of the Covenant and the altar and the outer court. All of these are referred to in the book of Revelation. And we have the same imagery here. John sees a vision of the temple in heaven. Only this temple was open. Normally, the temple was closed, at least to anyone who was not a priest or a Levite. But here, this temple is open. And even more remarkably, John was able to look right into the most holy place and see the very Ark of the Covenant of God. Normally, only the high priest saw the Ark of the Covenant. And then only once a year on the Day of Atonement, when he entered behind the veil and sprinkled blood on it, but now John is able to see it for himself. What does this mean? Well, first of all, it reminds us that by means of the atoning sacrifice of Christ, we can once again have access to God. Before the fall... Adam had access to God when God came to the garden in the cool of the day, but the fall brought an end to all of that. Access to God was cut off, and God banished man from the garden, and he placed cherubim in the east of the Garden of Eden with a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. But when our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ died on the cross as he gave up his spirit, the veil in the temple was torn from the top to the bottom, indicating that access to God had been restored again through the blood of Christ. And now there's no more separation between God and his people. In Christ, God and his people are reconciled. They are one, and they can stand before him and live forever. Secondly, the revealing of the ark signifies the revelation of the glory of God. The ark, you remember, represented the throne of God. Ultimately, it represented God himself. That's why no one but the high priest was allowed to look at it. And when it was being transported, it was always covered and had to be transported with poles, and no one was allowed to touch the ark. Anyone who did would be killed instantly. But now the ark is uncovered. John can see it with his own eyes. 
And by means of that vision, God is teaching us that because of the atoning work of Jesus Christ in heaven, we will behold the glory of God in all of its splendor. John speaks of this later on in Revelation, in Revelation 22, the verses 3 to 5, John writes that on the new earth there shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and his servants shall serve him, they shall see his face, and his name shall be on their foreheads, there shall be no night there, they need no lamp nor light of the sun, for the Lord God gives them light, and they shall reign forever and ever. Now imagine that. In the new earth, there will be no night, nor will there be any more need for the sun, for God will show forth his glory, and that will be all the light that we will need. But even this is not all that John saw. He also saw and heard lightnings and noises and thunderings and earthquake and great hail. Now we've encountered such phenomena before in connection with the seven seals and the seven trumpets, but now they come back again. Why? Because although this section of Revelation signals the end of history, it does not signal the end of the book. There are still 11 more chapters to come. And in these chapters, God, John will describe the judgments preceding the second coming as well as the second coming itself and in more detail than he has already. The seven seals and the seven trumpets are only a foretaste. John has, has just peeled the curtain back a little bit. And these lightnings and noises and thunderings, this earthquake and great hail indicate that there's much more to come. But the main point is clear. Christ is coming. He's coming. And when he does, he will receive a kingdom. He will reign. He will be worshipped. He will destroy his enemies. He will reward his friends. And he will dwell with and among his people forever and ever. Oh, what a glorious day this will be. Are you ready for it, my friend? There's only one way you can be ready for this great and terrible day. You must repent of your sins. You must believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Have you done that? Oh, if not, do so today. Seek him while he is to be found. Call upon him while he is near. For behold, he is coming with great wrath to judge the heavens and the earth. Do you hear him? Amen. Dear friends, it's our great joy to be able to preach to you the word of God every Sunday on this station. If you were blessed by or if you have a comment on the message you've heard today, we'd very much appreciate hearing from you. Why don't you please take the time to write us a short note. Our mailing address is Banner of Truth, 3386 Mount Lehman Road. Lehman is spelled L-E-H-M-A-N, and that's in Abbotsford, British Columbia, V4X2M9. And when you write to us, won't you please indicate the call letters of this station. If you do take the time to write to us, we'd love to send you, free of charge, a wonderful booklet entitled Faith of Our Fathers, which explains the so-called doctrines of grace, and we hope that it may be a rich blessing to you. Please note that we do not send out CDs of our radio messages, but you can access and download all of our messages at any time from our website. And the website is banneroftruthradio.com. That's all one word, banneroftruthradio.com. 
Support for this program is provided by the Free Reformed Churches of North America. For more information about our churches, including where you can find a church nearest you, please visit our denominational website at www.frcna.org. That website again is www.frcna.org. Your financial support for this program is always welcome and deeply appreciated. If the Lord has placed in your heart a desire to help us to offset the costs of broadcasting this program on this station, you can send us a check in any amount. Again, our mailing address is 3386 Mount Lehman Road, Abbotsford, British Columbia, V4X2M9. Or you can visit the donation section of our webpage. Our webpage, again, is banneroftruthradio.com. Thank you for listening, and now, until next week, may the Lord be with you all.